another episode of the Crash Chords Podcast. I'm, of course, Matt. I'm John. And I'm Steve. Um, so, very briefly, I want to start this episode by um, talking about a Staten Island local um, shop that's closing probably by the end of the year. Um, it's called Mandolin Brothers. It's one of the best instrument stores in the country. Um, and it's in Staten Island, New York, where I grew up, which you can't say that a lot about Staten Island. And I grew up, and John I grew, grew up. up. <laughs> um, if you called it the best, one of the best musical stores in the city, I mean, you're talking about top tier anyway yeah but like people like Eric Clapton Bob Dylan George Harrison George Harrison all of these people shopped at this shop and it's been around forever but the owner died I believe earlier this year or last year and it's just been a struggle to keep it open since so they are uh, officially closing they don't have a hard date it's when they sell out of everything so they're thinking the end of December Um, I was there over the weekend it was cool but the walls were bare Um, but I brought uh, Painless Parker, a.k.a. Noam Berg, had always wanted to go and had never been. So me and Sarah and his fiance Adrian, all went, the four of us, so he could finally go see it. And he was like a kid in a candy store. He loved it. Aww. But, um, but yeah, so um, I want to dedicate this episode to the Mandolin Brothers. I don't know how much longer they'll be around, but uh, I love that place. I would always go in there and fiddle with instruments, even though I didn't know my ass from my elbow when it came to <laughs> instruments back I then. I wouldn't even fiddle with them. I didn't want to touch them. I don't... Uh, that'd be dangerous. So there are lots of local Staten Islanders who never even knew it existed. But yeah. uh, here, I'm a fan of mom and pop places, not yeah. just in Staten Island, but all around the city. And they are closing. Yeah, a lot of them. I, I wrote a big article for Classical Light uh, a couple months ago, pertaining to the closing of Frank Music, which was the last sheet music store in the entire city. Oh wow! And that closed back in March. So yeah, yeah, sad, sad days for music. Yeah, it's a bit of a bubber that. Places like Sam Ash. Um, well, the, Sam Ash is still certainly the big one. And, yeah. But even that, Sam Ash used to have a lot of little shops yeah. on 40, 48th Street, I think, mm-hmm. or somewhere around there. And, you know, they they've, just, too. they've all closed, and now it's just the big behemoths. And yeah. it's the one on 34th Street now, like between 9th and 10th Avenue, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so this episode is dedicated to that. Um, also, um, I think I'll just jump right into my intro for this week's album of course if you listened last week or read the blurb you know we are doing the newest album from Muse called Drones now if you remember back in episode 16 if you've listened that far back that's the first time we took on Muse Muse is a band that I've always liked because they remind me of my favorite rock band of all time which I've said on the podcast before is Queen because Freddie Mercury is the greatest singer to have ever lived and if you can argue with me about it I'd be interested in having that conversation because greatest rock singer yeah that, that's the only doubt. thing I'll, I'll, I'll admit okay greatest rock singer <laughs> of all time fair enough but they're still my favorite rock and roll band of all time probably one of my favorite bands of all time and uh, Muse is the closest thing that I'll ever get to getting to hear a new Queen sort of because Matt Bellamy is as close as we'll ever get to another Freddie Mercury without having another Freddie Mercury I would say it's amazing that we arrived at that conclusion both separately but it's not that amazing I mean yeah, yeah. I feel like he Matt Bellamy certainly takes for the same tradition and uh Queen, well, Freddie Mercury in particular, left some big shoes to fill. Yes. And everyone wants to fill them. <laughs> yes. So, so, um, and the theatricality of this band also very much reminds me of Queen. You know, you think about Bohemian Rhapsody. Like, there was no song like that at the time. And since, really, I mean, there have been songs that try to capture that magic. But, you know, 
it's just that kind of power and 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 force to be reckoned with in Muse is why I've always liked them. And we when we reviewed them the first time, we of course talked about songs like Knights of Cydonia and uh, Supermassive Black Hole. And so we're, I wanted to take on drones because we reviewed them before in our early days where we might not have been quite as particular as we are now. And also because I like Muse and I figured, hell, let's do it. Yeah, no, that's, that's what I want to go into a bit. It's, it's rare that we repeat artists, because of course we like bringing new content to the table, but yeah, we, we did Muse pretty early on in our podcasting career. The second law we did in episode 16, October 2012. Can you believe it? That was wow. pre-Hurricane Sandy Wait. for some other Staten Island news. <laughs> past news now but the point is it seems like an eternity ago for the podcast and especially now as we're nearing another year in review and ultimately a new year i think it's worth taking a quick nod at our development over the years say for the wandering internet goer who as a google search would have it might stumble upon this episode of muse and then trod back to that one three years ago hear the horrific audio quality and wonder what the f*** is up. <laughs> well, yeah, we've developed, which isn't to be self-aggrandizing. We're always developing. Everyone should always be developing. In retrospect, our early reviews were hardly analyses. They were cursory looks at albums with minimal research and impulse reactions. I think that's the case really for most critics out there, which is why since then we've tended even to shuck the word critic. We analyze albums to get closer to the soul of the work now. We don't really do it for the soapbox. And as exemplified by Star F's comment on episode 168's Blurry Face just a week, two weeks ago, what we really want is an interactive, intelligent, and conscientious discussion from the community. You know, we just want to jumpstart them and empower them. Imagine a generation where angry YouTubers were a minority. <laughs> I miss those days. <laughs> What would happen to Reddit? Would, well, it would you miss those days. It was pre-YouTube when those yeah, days existed. Yeah, pretty much. Reddit, Twitch, Twitter, all those social media platforms. Yeah, so, you know, it's the idea. I don't really believe you can ever, like, know an album fully. Uh, coming to know an album is sort of an asymptotic relationship. There's no there's no 100% bar, objection sustained, objection overruled, buy it, bury it, burn it. In fact, we even made those faux pas earlier in our oh, career yeah. as well. Yep. So, you know, what this all amounts to is, let me do the intro that Muse never got. I'll make this fairly brief, and a lot of it crosses over into what Matt says. But, you know, ironically, I feel that Muse is actually a band that is fairly well understood by mainstream media. I don't think there's anything I can really impart to their backstory that hasn't already been said. I won't even necessarily recant all of my opinions on that earlier review, The Second Law. I'll just endeavor to be more succinct this time. So... Starting with a description of Muse as having cinematic overtones, because that came up, I, I believe, a lot in that episode. For sure. Or even the more meaningless epic overtones. <laughs> I, I no longer really find those to be apt descriptions. I think no. gothic overtones would actually be far more fitting. In fact, the band, when it was just Matt Bellamy and Dominic Howard before Chris uh, Wollstenholm, was actually called Gothic Plague. Like, way early on, back in the 90s. And they didn't just, like, erupt with that that flair, that inflection out of nowhere. Newcomers actually kind of theorized that, you know, they went from a rock band to all of a sudden being this grand, you know, epic masterpiece. It, it really was always there. That element was always there ever since album one. They only found new outlets for them. With Matt Bellamy taking on symphonic orchestration, it certainly helps, and a lot more electronic confusion. So there was a more integrated concept in the second law than existed in earlier albums. But Muse didn't popularize themselves on being concept album artists. They were always creative, they were always a bit arty. They didn't even popularize themselves by being anti-establishment, because you do find that in their lyrics. They popularized themselves by being a great rock band. 
Matt Bellamy, like you said, he's a born rock singer. Not because of the attitude that goes with it, but more because of the pain and, and the torture that goes with it. In fact, I begun last week's episode, uh, Static by Huntress, by comparing the opening track's wailing guitar to Matt Bellamy's vocals, the classically tortured soul. He reaches really deep for his melodies, and the band over the years has pretty effortlessly pivoted between moments of shamelessly rocking your socks off and then inviting you into its strange world of dystopian overtones, a cross between the brazenly badass Hollywood flick and then something more fit for, like, a French film festival. It's pretty ingenious, actually, and pretty barrier-dropping, dare I say, something I didn't properly credit them for three years ago, but it's something I'm always looking for in the course of these episodes. But, giants of the industry that they be, this album is new, and, well, this year we're just gonna do our thing like we usually do. Uh, Drones by Muse. May I first say something about the album cover? And then, yes, I'll, and then I'll shut up. <laughs> yes, please, because I actually wanted to talk about the album cover. Alright, a bunch of faceless figures just waddling about, seem seemingly controlled by just a plain red joystick on a desk by some guy whose entire head itself is a joystick. Which then is controlled by another giant, powerful hand. And you could tell the, from the black cuff there that I, I believe it's some kind of not at a corporate figure. Yeah, or some kind of authority figure. It's, yeah, it could it's be the a, man. Like a president, governor, could be political too. It's the man. It's a literal representation of the man. It's like, yeah, we get it. We Sometimes we don't have control over our own lives. Right. Well, and also the, the other. That. The it's, other guy whose head is a joystick, he's wearing a white shirt, white collar, so it gives that kind of white collar employee feel being manipulated by the overarching yep. bigger hand. And you're having more, uh, well, not more, you're having a bit of a, almost a militant slant on the figurines marching, yet yeah. there's no guns, no nothing. They actually look like they're wearing suits. Yeah, but the kind way of the like legs a are... suit, the way the legs are, it's very, uh, very... Mind controlly, yes. I guess is the way to do it. Yeah, Very no, robotic. No. It's a little, way it's a little Floydian actually, yeah. because yeah. it's the kind of thing I would find on their album covers. So, all right, we've got some nods. Like I said, they certainly have uh, anti-establishment leanings, but it goes a little bit further than that. Uh, Matt Bellamy himself really, really does like the dystopian, and he's a little bit fascinated with the concept of World War Three. I mean, so, it's, it's not so foreign, especially in modern day, to be obsessed with the end. I mean, uh, you know, robot apocalypse, zombie apocalypse, we've just had a couple, nuclear we've got, fallout. Yeah, there's one for everybody. Yeah, and I feel like, so being f- fascinated with that is in all sorts of medium, so for it to be in music is not surprising. Yeah, so keeping with that theme, the first track is entitled Dead Inside. Which, which is, as far as the title name, is like, okay, well, this is bleak. Yeah. And I haven't even listened to it yet, but this is bleak. And then, of course, it starts with, just those words, dead inside, sung harmonically, and then right into the actual song itself. Which is sort of strange. It's like a, I mean, it's a weird clash because, of course, you have those dystopian overtones, but they're really more undertones at this point, frankly, because the song itself, it almost begins like a, a Depeche Mode, like, 80s Very club track will. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's almost if it wasn't like maybe so slow and so spread out because i can't quite see this appearing in a club it, it's a it's a very dramatic beatbox very deliberate slow and steady it actually would kind of be hard to dance to this at least in the beginning because it's so thin it does get busier though yeah the theatricality comes in right away from the drums how they're spaced to the way he's singing like you get a story already from the moment it starts yeah and it's borrowing very heavily from so, some iconic uses of instrumentation the that background tapping tone is very Beverly Hills Cop kind of an idea. It was from their it, theme, yeah. Not just the theme, but that was a that was a part of that era of music, that yeah. '80s era of music. Having that sort of you know 
screwed aroundness to the actual instrumentation to make it sound electronic and hollow, even if you are using a legit instrument. Mm -hmm. You take that, you have that kind of screeching punctuation on the end of it, another almost hair metal kind of an idea of being infused inside of this. You're getting a little bit of everything, but it all seems to be stuck in the past here. Um, well, here and there. I don't I don't really think it's that far into the past. I still mm -hmm. think, like, yeah, you have certain little 80s nods, but for the most part, especially once you bring in his vocals, well, actually, it's kind of ironic, because I, I'm almost sorry you took the words out of my mouth, Matt, because <laughs> the Freddie Mercury thing is really so on the nose. And I don't want to, I don't want to overstate that too much, because I don't want to take away from Matt Bellamy's personality. Sure. But I will say this, we don't have Freddie Mercury I'll take Matt Bellamy. Right. And he, he makes it his own. And it, it just, it hits you, you know, like a punch in the face the second his vocals start. I don't know how he's able to accomplish the falsettos that he does. I really, it's it's inhuman at yeah. times. <laughs> but it, it's the melody's irresistible. And it really, it really just made me, you know, squash any, any, uh, comparisons to a lot of other bands. I just really try to enjoy this for what it is. The melody is irresistible, and frankly, I'm in, I'm in a phase lately where everything with, with effort behind it is just really, really grabbing me. He puts so much behind every word here. Release a million drones, and it just soars above mm -hmm. everything else. The breathiness, the quivering, the upper glissando. I feel like he's going to crack at any minute. In fact, he, he sounds that way in a lot of his tracks, so... It's a wonder he's still doing it, really. Well, also what I like about the vocals is when they sing Dead Inside, which is clearly the chorus and a cry out, it's done in a very Queen style, you know, there's 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 reverb on it, there's, you know, it sounds like a chorus of people singing Big it. Big pick change in yeah. the vocal work, having that very high rise towards the end of a chorus, very much a, a, a crying out. It also puts a lot of emphasis on it. The, just the idea, but you're dead inside. The whole song does speak to a specific individual. The chorus itself, your lips feel warm to the touch, you can bring me back to life. On the outside, you're ablaze and alive, but you're dead inside. Yeah. Talking directly to an individual who has done him wrong, kind of an idea. Yeah. I don't know if that's the only layer that's going on right here. Oh, it's not the only layer, because here's, In, here's immediately a... following that. You're free to touch the sky whilst I am crushed and pulverized. Because you need control, now I'm the one who's letting go. Lines like that, because you need control, whilst I'm crushed and pulverized. Crushed and pulverized is very much the uh, allusion towards the cog mechanism, the, the idea of everybody's uh, specific part of the society, mm -hmm. industrial machine, and all that sort of stuff. That's a theme that comes up a lot in literature that we've already associated with the artwork of this album well he even kind of admits it and this is what i was getting to this is uh this is something that actually me and john were talking about separately not just a couple weeks ago in terms of the whole drone culture and of course a lot of people are, are are questioning well is this really ethical you know at the end to sort of take the person out of the picture on one hand yes you're saving lives but on the other hand you're you know it's it's it dehumanizes people mm -hmm. in a certain way uh, but it even goes a little bit further than that. This is, this is actually from an interview uh, with BBC Radio 1 with Matt Bellamy talking to Annie Mack, although it was transcribed helpfully for me by Music Times, which is actually the parent company of Classical Light, where I, <laughs> which I write for. That's just coincidence, though. Um, and it's transcribed as follows. To me, a drone is a metaphor for what it is to lose modern empathy and start to not really care much about what's going on in the world and going on around you. I think that modern technology, and obviously through drone warfare in particular, it's possible to actually do quite horrific things by remote control, at a great distance, without actually feeling any of the consequences or even feeling responsible in some way. Uh, the next step 
in drones is going to be autonomous drones, which actually make kill decisions themselves, and there will be no humans involved at all. Yeah, I mean, it's it's truly terrifying to not go on a long tangent, but this idea of a human can make split-second decisions that a robot can't. A robot just can't do it right now, and, and, and to take the human out of it is terrifying. Yeah, and, and, and little, I think that little moment of, of ethical conundrum might I'm, actually avoid conflict, yeah. ironically. Speaking of these ethics, the song, the way it actually ends, you've taught me to lie without a trace and to kill with no remorse. On the outside, I'm the greatest guy. Now I'm dead inside. Yeah. That is a very unhappy conclusion to the, well, this idea. Well, it just idea. goes to show, though, and this is what I was kind of crossing over into, because when you read some of the earlier lyrics, and also those as well, you know, it, you could apply this as well to, I suppose, a relationship. And mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of people who don't really know the dystopian undertones that he throws in here, I feel like a lot of people are going to see it through that, because that's it would be a lot more common for Rock to talk about that conflict than sure. the, the mass societal conflict. Well, actually, that's not true. Of course, of course, Rock likes to make its, you know, societal points. But uh, in this style and using this style music, not necessarily. Right. Well, I think also it's important to note here that the album is called Drones, and there is a title track much later on, but this song is describing the title instead of being the title track. So Dead Inside is talking about drones being dead inside. And I think yeah. that's really interesting, too. I'm sure other albums have done it, but I've not made that hard notice on a first track of describing an album. And I think that's kind of interesting. Right, and it's, then... It's a good, catchy song, all said and done, with... I love the solos. The solos the, are oh, great. Oh, the solo was actually what I wanted to talk about here. Frankly, I thought this, this first solo was almost flawless, just for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's spotlighted amidst the track as a whole. This, this sort of flat, enclosed sound very 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 direct patch with kind of a boxy waveform to it it stands out so much against his vocals it just draws you in in a curious way even if it doesn't like strike you as inherently beautiful on its own because it is it's kind of it's not it's kind of harsh it's kind of kind of grating but but then there's number two it's also deeply melodic and born 100 percent out of the main melody. It is integral to the song. And I think the boxiness that you're describing of like the waveform is exactly how I describe it too because I literally, when listening to the song, saw that. Like if you were listening to on an old Winamp player, which was a player that was for the PC that a lot of people don't use anymore. Old? I still use it. <laughs> Your computer is not new either. But you could watch the waveforms on those old players, which I liked. And like in this section, you just see a box of sound. And I think that's mm -hmm. really cool. Like that the instrumentation gave way to that imagery it was it was varied it was all over the place it was a good like it was a good soup a good mm -hmm. like minestrone beef soup something <laughs> with it's got all the Somebody's vegetables hungry. it's got all the flavors <laughs> it's got those chunks of meat that you just sink yourself you sink your teeth into mm -hmm. as you're going along and it just it fills you you're by the time you're done with it's it satisfying ex exactly it's extremely satisfying yeah the outro so low that they kind of go into that one felt a lot more basic in retrospect well I think it was just kind of wrapping up the track it wasn't supposed to be as flashy as the first one and I liked it because it let me, let me on a sort of I didn't have to get that fillingness again I think it might have been a little bit too much if he filled this up again mm -hmm. I did like more of a cool down especially considering what we go into with the next few tracks yeah the, the outro is kind of a strange case with me like I don't know after after you get the the bridge in there which was I admit it was a little predictable it was a slight more turn inward uh, but more prominent on the picking that guitar picking sound in the background throughout this track was actually really nice there was an interlude which kind of separated this just a bare drums and bass again and then that organ sound in the background, but then it yields to this other uh, interlude. At least I first perceived it as an interlude, because I didn't honestly expect this to end the track. Right, and the, the, out, the 
true outro is he says dead inside again and then it's the initial beat and basic synth work that takes it out until it ends on a synth note like it doesn't doesn't get grand it doesn't kind of fade it just, out it, it just, just repeats the first 15 20 seconds the pretty synth, much the and synth then enters idea. in it goes through the four chord progression after a few bars his vocals enter but it's still the same basic groove it, it's great stuff but this is where my my muse familiarity takes over a little bit i i understand you know this side of them i i, I use the word genre whitewash last week. I used that a lot, and I really don't want to repeat myself too much here, uh, because it's one thing to use that for metal. I, I feel weird using it for Muse, or for rock in general, because I couldn't deny that there was something very plain about the way this track ended to me. It, it just... It felt that given that it was very bold and inviting until this strange break, mm -hmm. on one hand, I want to kind of credit it for doing something different. It was very pop, but it broke the pop framework by changing gears and playing out the track in a unique way. But it's not so much that it was a thematic departure. It either, it either one, jumped the gun on the track. That is to say, you could have perhaps maybe kept it just as is and just cut this whole section out entirely like it, it would have been more fitting maybe to just keep it short and simple like 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 the intro or number two it didn't go big enough strange as it sounds i actually saw more material out of this four minute 22 second song track i saw a part b i saw more instrumentals i saw the epic that muse gets raved about for but what we got was just a sort of bleeding heart outro and i don't know it was a it was it's, a strange turn it's uh, plays up the title of the track and the content of the track itself it's dead inside well at the I, end of the day he falls to it that's what the lyrics explain uh -huh. that's what his story explains so it makes sense to end on that kind of numbing unfulfilled note in some ways. I think I would agree with Steve, though, that when he says Dead Inside again, I could have seen the track clearly cutting out after that, instead yeah. of having that little outro that sounded like the intro. Like, for me, that's where the natural stopping point was, but again, John might be right. It might be that way on purpose, to kind of give this kind of saunter at the end, where you're just kind of droning along. Another well, allusion to the will, cog idea. Yeah. I will admit that in track two, uh, Drill Sergeant, which is in brackets, because it really functions as just this strange uh, uh, intro or, it's a or narrative divider. Piece. It's a narrative piece, and I I did kind of recoil a bit on my previous point because this track was just sort of an intro to the next track. Correct, track three. I, I, track three. It made me perceive the first track as, in a way, a prologue. Because then, of course, it makes sense to sort of just come to a head and, 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 and fade out or, or have a, an outro section that is just that vast. Right. Because, you know, then it allows that to function more more boldly as a prologue. Then it, sure. just, it just ends, and now it's kind of like, now we're starting the album. Yeah. Uh, sorry to be this far into the podcast, but now <laughs> yeah. we're starting now the album. Now this album officially starts yeah. now. Well, um, from the Full Metal Jacket introduction of Drill Sergeant, I mean, that's exactly what it is. It feels like a scene from Full Metal Jacket. Well, it just or not, it's not exactly gunny. It's pretty straightforward. Yeah. Drill Sergeant shouts, if you do not do what you are told to do when you're told to do it you will be punished you understand i sir if you leave my base without proper authorization i will hunt you down and throw your ass in jail do you understand i sir i can't hear you i sir scream it i sir your ass belongs to me now i sir all right all right authoritative figure we get it yeah it's 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 clearly in that that vein of those old um you know military movies and so you know, when it jumps into Psycho's heavy guitar work, very, I call it contemporary rock sound. It reminded me of bands like Puddle of Mud and early Nickelback when they didn't suck, that kind of stuff. Well, like, I won't even say old movies. I mean, let's face it, a lot of, I mean, the military is kind of like this. Current military movies, In ROTC, too, sure. it's still kind of the same basic concept, even the ROTC. They tone it down a little bit because, yeah. you know, they don't want to go against the, uh, the high school rules. But still, still, basic concept. It's the military for you, and, uh, you know, well, that's, that's what 
you have in a uh, in a hierarchical structure in general, right. where you are beholden to one person's opinion. You have to you have to climb the ladder. I don't know. I, I can only talk about this this intro with respect to track three, which yeah. interestingly is called Psycho. Um, remember what I said about rock before and how yeah. they pivot between rock and the dystopian overtones? Well, how could you get such a more harsh shift than this? Yeah. To be honest. I, I was almost a little bit thrown because I expected them to do something very similar here as what they did in Second Law. And they had intros in Second Law. They Instead, they used symphonic intros, mm-hmm. I remember, in that album. And they went into some fairly uh, symphonic pieces as a result. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. This is just an oddball turn. Yeah. Well, one of the things it does with that heavy, I want to say, for Muse... Heavy jaunt it, well, that they have in the beginning. Yeah, it's an attitude. The driven. way the guitar screeches towards the end, that clarion call, that that trumpet is is the idea of the military. They already set up the military idea. That's the call to okay, arms yeah, that's at the connected. end of it. That's connected. Well, and also the I've... vocals in the verses. That's the weird part. That's where it's like he becomes the tempter, and I don't know how else to describe it. That plus what the music's doing in the verses is. Like you said, it's it's completely at odds with everything else. I don't think it's at odds. It sounds like a narrator almost talking about the situation that we're not thrust into. I feel like the heavy guitars and then the screeching guitar parts within it lends itself to, like I said, very, very succinct 2000s rock bands that very much did their kind of, uh, you know, jaunty kind of... Their own form of aggressive rock right. to pay homage to what classic rock did. Right. Um, and they did it well. And I, I I really liked the intro here. I love mm-hmm. the bass line especially. The, the way after like 36 seconds where this is just kind of building up, the bass line finally unravels and in a very distinctive way while the guitar comps for it. Um, then in the verse, we throw it back to more to the steady riff, uh, yeah. where all instruments are just kind of involved on their own steady riff, and there's uh, some extraneous sound bites of, of vocals sort of scratching their way creepily over this attitude riff, and we even get more uh, sound bites beyond that. The the thing that really connects to the previous track, the the, the dialogue, and that is, are you a human drone? Aye, sir. Are you a killing machine? Aye, sir. I'm in control, motherfucker. Do you understand? I, sir. And my biggest okay. issue with those sound bites is so, as an intro, it set up the track really well, and I like those, the sound bite. You know, it, it created a narrative piece, but throwing them in amidst the track feels very 90s, feels very played out, because it doesn't. It's, it's, it's just, hammering at home a little too hard well, for me. Not even that, it's just the way it's delivered amongst the music. Like, the music cuts out a little, but it's, I don't know, it feels very thrown in, and I'm sure it wasn't. I'm sure it was very calculated, but I just, I didn't like the way it was mixed in. I felt the, the point would have been hammer, hammered home fine without it. Um, one thing I do like, though, again, is. The way these lyrics kind of melodically flow over this aggressive rock tone kind of gives a strong narrative to this being submerged in this military world. I think that it's an interesting way to deliver it, and it's the one thing that makes it stand out, especially since when he goes into the chorus, you know, before he says Psycho, his voice goes up, the song goes up, very Mm -hmm. much in, like, Supermassive Black Hole or any of those other heavier songs that are on previous records where he kind of lets it flow and then goes up and then dives into the chorus and the soundbite. Right. And while I think it's an interesting way of looking at it, I found it voc- uh, lyrically to be kind of boring, tried and true. The the metaphors that are being used aren't really anything new. The It's not alluding to anything big in the verses that, that really is going to capture my attention. It's really just another military song, well, which has at, been done for years. Let's look at some of the non-soundbite non, uh, lyrics. Your mind is just a program, and I'm the virus. I'm changing the station. I'm improving your thresholds. I'll turn you into a super drone. 
and you will kill on my command, and I won't be responsible. Okay, yes, very bleak and dark, but I, it doesn't have a lot of flavor word-wise for me. I'm also not really feeling this through the music either. So one thing I want to mention, though, before we talk into the music a little more, is that he's mentioned drone here. Drone here. He mentioned drone on the first track. I want us to pay attention to how much he mentions drone throughout the record, because I feel like it comes up quite a bit, which is also interesting. But yeah, musically is not hammering home this military point, except in very specific moments. In the chorus, primarily. Yeah, and but, the sound bites, yeah. obviously. I just I think that. I enjoy his singing style as I always do. The music is very much a throwback to me to my early rock and roll development and heavy rock development. But beyond that, I, the song doesn't have, narratively it has good character, but instrumentally it doesn't. And that's my biggest problem, I think. Well, verse three, for instance, has a slightly different melodic structure. Mm -hmm. I thought that was interesting, but it was almost like it was going to be a bridge, but it was really just the same deal because all the instruments still still doing the same thing. It's yep. the same basic groove throughout the track. And it's, it made me think, like this, this is, I think a well-crafted structure, but it's not an artfully structured track. I think that's how I'd, I'd, I would make sense of this. Like, they keep each reprise interesting, sort of, just by having the, the punch to it. And, and the song doesn't really overstay its welcome. I'm, I'm just being a little snooty about this. I, I wish it had that next, that next step, because, again, when someone hints that I'm going to get something a little bit more theatrical than I wanted to really take that theatrical level. Um, and I don't know. This 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 it 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 rode a safe route for for rock, as far as I was concerned. Well, yeah, and I think that's the thing that really disconnected this for me from Muse is that typically their instrumentation and vocals are theatrical. Here, the sound bites and the way the vocals were delivered were theatrical, but the rest of it wasn't. Yeah, and even much later, like toward a four minute. Uh, seven seconds around there when everything finally clenches up with this like dramatically rising guitar it it's not really that artful to me it's no. it's, it's cool but it just is going it's... up the harmonic minor scale that's it it's really just going up that scale like one slowly one increment at a time and... so the drama was a little plain for me it just we did seem like we had a little brief modulation to follow that so i don't know i'm 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 on the edge with this track. I just want to I want to enjoy it on the rock level, but again, I felt hinted at something bigger. Yeah, all said, it it definitely didn't live up to what Dead Inside kind of set up for the album mm -hmm. and what Drill Sergeant really did set up for this narrative. Yeah. I mean, the narrative is there, but at the end of the day, it just felt a little bit plain. Uh, yeah. All said, we've had military tracks in the past that felt militant. This one didn't yeah. as much. I'll close it off with this. It, it puts me on edge. I think it cheese at doing that to me, but the album's telling me that I should be on edge, yeah. and I don't think it's necessarily visceral. Yeah, I would agree completely. All right, let's well, go to track four, Mercy. Well, this is a first for me. Muse does you too. So more specifically, <laughs> and less jabby, this is Muse doing big arena rock, which, I mean, they've kind of hinted at Not before. Not just big. Big piano arena rock. Right. And that's like the crux of it for me. That's the one that really did cement it in, not necessarily YouTube particularly, but in general, their style of music. Sure. When you're going to have that that kind of a build up especially when the the piano notes are so plotted so very individualistic and very tinny as well exactly you're going to have that kind of i uh, icon around I this went for sort something, of song. I went for something a little more recent. Uh, it reminded me of Keen, actually, because the Keen has, obviously, they put heavy reliance on the piano, and they are also a fairly, fairly positive, fairly uplifting. Um, so it was a pop turn for sure, and I enjoy Keen. I really do. It's just, it was, again, odd turn for the album. 
Yeah, I think more specifically mentioning that it's a pop turn is very important to focus on. I think also reminds me of, you know, Coldplay's lighter stuff when they went kind of arena rock, which they've done too. I think the problem here with Muse doing this is that it feels like everyone else but themselves. And that's the big problem. Mm. It feels, I mean, I don't know how else to put it, but cheesy. This feels very cheesy considering the last two tracks we got. The narrative isn't as strong and it just feels very kind of empty. It's the chorus that is the crux of it for me. That one feels like the least unique aspect of this song. It just culminates, and it culminates in the way that you feel like it's going to culminate. I don't want that. I don't want to feel like, oh, this is where it obviously was going to go, so we have to go there. It's obvious the way it's just a build. And then immediately after the chorus, we go into a piano breakdown. I mean, you don't just rebuild from the piano on up again. That's... That's what everybody does, and that's what bothers me about it. It does feel very predictable. Let me just see if I can find some relation here in the lyrics, starting from the opening verse. Help me, I've fallen on the inside. I tried to change the game. I tried to infiltrate. But now I'm losing men in cloaks. Always seem to run the show. Save me from the ghosts and shadows before they eat my soul. And finally the chorus. Mercy, mercy, show me mercy. From the powers that be, show me mercy. Can someone rescue me? So lyrically, it feels very theatrical still. When you read the lyrics, I get the sense of drama that this album's trying to build. I just don't feel it from the music. Yeah. The, the second verse is even more pointed. Absent gods and silent tyranny were going under hypnotized by another puppeteer. And tell me why the men in cloaks always have to bring me down. Running from the ghosts and shadows, the world just disavows. That is, that's, that's exactly the opposite of what Psycho was for me. That is yeah. nice, great imagery going on right there. I almost feel like this could have fit the last track a little bit. I, I don't the know. The lyrics could have fit in Psycho? Eh, maybe. Maybe. I mean, I think for the for me, it's just really falls flat. Like, okay, we've always said that the lyrics can deliver on a drama that the, the music doesn't. But here, the music is so overwhelmingly in your face that it's hard to get the messaging through it. You know, it just feels uplifting. And the track, is, the lyrics are not uplifting. I, I didn't think uh, the music was terribly in your face. I thought it was I a meant, little more receded. Uh, well, I meant in your face in the fact that it's very present. You know, it's very there, even, and it distracts you from what the vocals are trying to tell you. Even right. even the when, when it's just the piano and light touches around the outside and it's rebuilding, yeah, I, I definitely see that. I definitely agree with that. It's also the the cyclical nature of it. It's just a, it just does the same thing over yeah. and over. Like the last track, it repeats on itself. Actually, it doesn't really grow. I, I will I will say I, perhaps the chorus itself is much more in your face, especially yeah. like the first chord yeah. and about forty four seconds, out. the blaring guitar with those various like, little video game rolls in the background. That that is pretty belty. But then it it's always this juxtaposition juxtaposition between this uh, this loud blaring segment and then the more receded segment. I guess you can at least see as far as the theme of mercy is concerned that sure. he's in a little bit of a weaker position here. And I don't know, I think this is less of the societal message, but more its impact on the individual. I will give it that much credit, that maybe this is his answer to the second law by saying, well, this is what it does to us. Um, So he humanizes it a little more, because if you're talking about society on a grand scale, then it makes sense to use symphonies and all of that. But if this is his natural follow-up album, I don't know if he really perceived them being back-to-back, but it kind of sounds like he did, Mm -hmm. considering we have similar themes, then this is a little bit more humanized, so that's why you have more rock similarities, more pop similarities. Um, I, I liked a couple things about this track later on. Wasn't really filling it up until this segment, but we have sort of like an A-B pair here, around two minute, 20 seconds, after uh, uh, this the cycle of verse chorus. We're finally in some nice territory, a more post 
rock backdrop. Actually, this really was much more similar to U2, but it, it, better than U2, frankly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it, it's this blurred, like, angelic guitar wallpaper in the background. And then for, for Matt Bellamy, this almost untamed choir boy falsetto, even even more high-pitched for him. It's actually, again, really weird that he can still put, pull this off at his age. I mean, well, he's not very old, but he's getting older, um, and it's still just as angelic. It's, but it's, it's really sweet. It's a 20-second snippet of this song. It is. It's short. That's the problem. It, like, it does something cool and doesn't go anywhere with it. That's and, my issue. And even within seconds. that, even within that, I do have a little, a little, I'm being really particular today, but, the, but I have a little issue even with his vocals, which is beautiful as they are. They were a little meandering here, only because they're, they're, they're rising and falling. It, I can only equate it to the same problem that I have with uh, some R&B singers, like especially back from the 90s. Amazing vocalists, like out-of-this-world talent, but sometimes the the improvising is a little bit too excessive for me. You know, they're constantly, like, just just having too much fun with the same note, mm-hmm. and they turn that one note into, like, ten different notes, <laughs> and they really embellish and, like, sure. drag it out for a falsetto. It almost seemed like that was what he was doing for this 20-minute segment, 20-second segment. And then following this, there was another harsh shift, which is what I'd call, like, a B to this A-B pair, and around, like, two minutes 37 seconds it just clenches up into this distorted guitar interlude which i guess is another example of what you called in your face and i just really didn't see the marriage here and from there we go into a brief bridge and then finally the final chorus i don't know structural something's predictable something's not very mismatched it just feels a little kind of mishmash yeah i think that was the best way to describe it now let's go on to track five reapers because this was a track of wildly mixed feelings for me i maybe could hear that I've been having wild mixed <laughs> feelings so far, but this... Uh, this is the worst of the bunch thus far. It hits greater heights <laughs> and some more extreme lows, so yeah. Within seconds, we're getting this rattling guitar solo. It's, yes, and technically, it's a phenomenal piece because yeah. of the pe- fingers... Are, but it's but like literally, not, there's no runway. It's, you know, we get a couple no, a couple <laughs> drum beats and then... It's like only one hand's moving, not yeah. both. Like, yeah, that's yeah. that's all what's going on. The right good. hand's just going up and down and doing something, but it seems like there's no actual change going on. Oh, it's, it's still pretty cool, though. It's, yeah, it's fancy. Oh, it's cool. Technically, it's really it's awesome. It's the fancy guitar power metal, and then you have this yeah. chromatic fall, and down finally into this, uh, you know, this great segment that, uh, this is back to a positive here, felt much much more substantial to me. Um, just just the, the, the key change from the previous track and, and, and descending from D minor down to C major. I think it was even a C major 7, I think. And, and the bass was really moving here. The guitar was answering in little accents in the right ear. I just felt like this was diving right in at this point. It was a key dramatic moment on the album, less on the surface than some previous tracks. I felt like for the first time we were finally getting the meat and maybe the 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 beginning of something. Here, five tracks in, the beginning of the act we were supposed to get following the dialogue of track two. Yeah, I mean, Reapers kind of hits the ground running and the, the drama is back, the theatricality is back, and you kind of barrel right through it. And that's what I really like is the vocal del- delivery, once it comes in, is like, we're we're off to the races. Yeah, and, and, and along with that, you have the lyrics, home, it's becoming a killing field. There's a crosshair locked on my heart, with no recourse, and there's no one behind the wheel. Hellfire, you're wiping me out. Killed by, antrochorus, drones. Killed by drones, killed by drones. This is about 50 seconds in, and it's another strange shift. I, I, I feel like they changed the focus of this song, almost impulsively to me. I... I this chorus is actually not very connected, in my opinion. I think Taken Alone, it's still pretty neat, but it feels like something that should be more of a campy rock opera 
than what this verse delivered to me. Well, with the heavy reliance of this song on the imagery associated with drone warfare, words like Reaper, Hellfire, as in the missiles, you're talking about crosshairs. There's the future references to the CIA even, and all the names secret are stuff. A little. Yeah, there, it's it's heavily relying on that idea. So I'm assuming that it's a punctuation effect, an explosion effect, of really separating that chorus. But here's the strange thing: this this chorus was actually like in major. It was a strange shift to G major, whereas you started out in D minor, I think. And and the verse just felt too dramatic to warrant a shift to major this early on. I know this is really picky, and I'm I'm not saying this isn't great rock, it's just very impulsive to me, and I, I try to be careful when an artist clearly has a propensity for larger narrative processes, and actually I'm getting kind of a strange de- deja vu to three years ago, really, but I, I believe maybe he might be better on the short term than he is on the long term. I, I This will probably be disproven later in this album, but in this particular track, I feel like he wrote these two sections separately, and they were just smacked together. And then there is the third section, which is that really meaty guitar solo. Again, we're getting a, a what I think is one of the better ones on most of the albums we've listened Back to this to year. wildly mixed feelings. Yes. This guitar, lo- this guitar solo just screeches into existence and I want to pull back from from any anything I, 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 I said not just five seconds ago but really this is probably the best solo I've heard in weeks maybe yeah. more but than w- maybe the may- whole year I would go that maybe far. the whole maybe not that far no I would I would I think actually I, I'd be so bold to claim this is the best solo I've heard since God sticks yeah I mean the thing about this solo too is that you know, it screeches into existence, and it brings me back to that feeling like they they emblemize and they kind of are influenced. Uh, they're definitely influenced by Queen. Like this feels very Brian May rock and roll, you know. And my terrible impressions of a guitar solo aside, <laughs> I mean, I feel like I'm going into um, strong band. Anyway, um, I dig I, it, man. <laughs> all said and done, it's fun. It's yeah. all over the place. It oh flows God, yeah. from all over the place, and it's abrupt in the best moments. I, yeah. I wouldn't gloss over this if I if I thought that maybe I could compress it, but I don't think I can, yeah. even in the course of this podcast. And we talk about things at length, and I'll, I'm not past talking about a moment. But this this uh, solo here, I really don't think I can compress into this podcast. It, it, it's dynamic. It's lively. It actually compresses a range of feelings into a very short span, and it feels very natural in the process. Theory-wise, I could probably spend 20 minutes explaining why I think this solo is so inspired. I won't. I won't do it. It's hands... You go ahead. I realize we don't have that much time, yeah. but I'm going to put it out there. If there's a demand for it, if there's a demand for it in the audience, I will release a short supplementary podcast breaking down this solo. <laughs> I'm serious. Not, not at the behest of you two, but if there's a demand okay. out there... I can promise you now. Post in this comment section below. I will. I will make do. I do want to say because I feel I'm under. I'm underselling this. No, that's fair. <laughs> I mean, what I think about this solo also is it doesn't stay too long. It doesn't stay too short. It just it feels right. It feels like it feels like a culminating part of the album, which is weird because we've already said a few things like this might be the first time it's really getting going on the album, which is about halfway mm-hmm. through the actual album. Mm-hmm. It's it's an oddball place, but taking it as a separate entity, it's great. Taken in context of the rest of the song, it's like, it does a lot to mitigate the duality of the two parts that are going on here, because it seems to touch upon elements of both well enough to actually feel like the glue, Yeah. but it doesn't come 
in the beginning to make that glue. It comes towards the end to show, to show the cohesion. I hate to say it, but this is one of those tracks where I would actually probably turn the volume down for various segments. I would turn the volume down and I'd kind of just wait it out. And I, I'd, I'd divide it up. I'd pick and choose. I would be the your classic ADD millennial generationer who t- picks and chooses what he wants. And I'd probably end up skipping the last minute and a half of this track if we're going to get down to it because it it takes a huge shift into grunge. Oh, I might disagree with you there. I, yeah. I actually think that the that the from the solo on, uh, it it developed fairly well uh, into yeah a grunge sort of metal march outwards. It was very heavy, sure, and it was like we were being reaped. It's called Reaper. But I mean, but it, I, I dug it. I, I think the end is really telling also because it kind of unravels. It's another solo here, but the whole track seems to be coming apart and like getting really dirty. Yeah, and this is a segment, certainly this far into the album, I can accept that choice yeah, of something too. unraveling, just like we enjoyed in Mania last week and how that unravels toward the end. Um, I'm only, you know, I the reason I sounded hesitant on that earlier in this album is because earlier in albums you expect somewhat tighter products before you have actually dived into the meat you know you need to be kind of concise with it but here i know what he's talking about already where we're we're knee deep yeah and the rambling nature i think is perfect for the outro to this track personally but for me it feels like a separate entity it really does it doesn't feel like an outro to me it feels more like a post song like that sort of thing that gets added on to a song as something that tends to be a little more hidden maybe there's a 15 20 second just silence piece well, to hide it. It says, here comes the drones, here comes the drones, here comes the drones. That, that's that's what the last thing you get before finally you get this outro. So uh, something is something's going down. I do want to mention also here, besides the um, dialogue track and Mercy, we've had the word drones mentioned in every track so far. <laughs> so that's important to note, um, including this one. From here we go on to The Handler. Which I believe doesn't. Have it. Maybe no. the first one to break your pattern, but uh, but I appreciate you. Besides Mercy. Mercy did break the it. pattern as well. But oh, yeah. besides Mercy. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, yeah. Uh, track six, The Handler. Um, Very slow and heavy, which I thought was actually a great textural shift for the album. We we, we needed some spice from the rhythm sections, and this is just this nice, like, it's emphasis a on... The, almost. A drudge on, on the one and the three, if you feel this a little bit quicker than... Mm-hmm. If, uh, that would be really slow tempo if each yeah. and every one of those thumps was actually the beat. I feel that this may be about... Uh, one, two, three, one, two, three, four, and a one. Yeah. I love that. Um, and then the bass is actually pretty showy following that toward the pre-chorus. Very exotic. I've been wanting a lot more of that in the bass because the bassist here is stellar. Really, really stellar. Um, gave us wonderful singles like Hysteria. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, what also I think that this song also, like the last track, the instrumentation in the beginning gives that drama, which every time used takes a dramatic route, you know, especially with the slowdown adds infinitely more drama. I think it really sharpens the track for me. And having a siren type of guitar, real metal, real up close, without that screech that sort of becomes a distracting effect, does a lot to really create some punctuation right up front. I mean, you're getting a lot of things opposing one another. Also, but the vocals come in. Yeah, his wailing vocals always also support this kind of a structure. You Except, know. it's not just a wail. It's a wail where he repeats himself, and that yeah. was something that really got to me very quickly. Really? That I it's, disagree. It's you, yeah. you, you. It wasn't an echo. It wasn't like a background. It was a repetition. It, was, I don't it know. felt more just repetition. I, I, I did not feel that in this track at all. Same. I actually thought that this was um, uh, this was one of those tracks where his vocals were top tier. I think 
that really it's easy to sometimes put his vocals aside just because they are so ever-present and he is so always good yeah. that it's, it's easy to kind of focus on the other things that Muse does and, and say, like, all right, yeah, great vocals, sure, whatever. You, you got a good voice, stop <laughs> bragging. But in this track, it, it seems like he's constantly topping himself. I, I thought that, that uh, especially how he reaches the falsetto here, and I believe there were times in which there was an overlapping harmony, mm-hmm. it was absolutely beautiful to me, and it reaches so high. I can't well, even... That can't falsetto, I almost want to call ear-piercing, but not in a bad way. It's just it's so high that it kind of... It, it, focuses your attention you know there's a lot here to kind of keep you sharp on the track which yes. i really like yes that said i i agree but it was that first little introduction of you 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 and i i i and now 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 all these repetitions that i just couldn't ignore uh, for me it was just something i couldn't ignore and it kind of spoiled the whole basket of, for me well, like, even in the second verse, it, it, it tops itself again. Mm-hmm. I, I'm sorry, I'm just, I, I don't agree, so I, I need to talk about the verses that I, where I feel like he's actually doing the, the exact contrast, where I feel like it actually is more dynamic than you're giving it credit for. In the second verse, he even tops the first verse. I love it when uh, the second verses include that word transformation. Behold, hold, my transformation. And he, he it, it's actually creepily doubled alongside yeah. that. But it was, I love it, and then the echoes in the background still loving it. I admit this is not uh, doesn't go in like prog territory. Yes, we do get verse, chorus, verse, chorus. That's 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 fine. Then we have an interlude here where a guitar steps in to almost channel. And I wish I knew the piece offhand, but it sounds like a little bit of Bach to me. I mean, it does sound kind of classical in that sense. Which is not far for them to go, but it actually feels like a little bit of sampling here. But still, that's a tasteful bit of sampling, because it's only just so much as like the first little bit of phrase where I feel like I detect something, this this sort of round uh, that feels like a a figuration that Bach has used. And uh, if someone knows that, please post in the comments. But what I really like about this moment, too, is it feels like the guitar and the drums just start to play with each other and the track starts to pick up speed and kind of hit this kind of stride that I really like. It doesn't, it, it's not as in your face as other solos have been on the record or other interludes, but I like the way it kind of picks up and kind of adds an urgency to the track that and wasn't the there earlier. the bridge develops very naturally as well. Yeah. This is actually the rock opera goodness that I was looking for, or where I may have, which I may have called tacky early on. I think it really worked here. The chords just rise and rise and rise, and every step, it's very matched. It... I don't know. It builds, yeah. Naturally. But for that back and forth, I do really enjoy that sort of like oscillating effect everything seems to have as it starts rising up in the air. It always seems to just keep going back to where it belongs. The very beginning, the it, very introductory type idea. That's that's. I feel you're just honing in on the verse-chorus stuff, which is something that... Um... If that's your problem, you'd need to double that 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 criticism in in many many more of our episodes than just this this episode because it happens with a lot of bands. First course is not going away anytime well, soon. One, it brings it it gives you something to follow. This one it was like there were so many things I was noticing as repetitive. The words, some of the idea of how everything's flowing along, it it is very that that pop repetitiveness that we don't like in in some ways with great instrumentation around it. That's the problem that I'm having with this. I can't just dislike tracks like this because it's still tight. There's still a lot of great things going on. Even the parts that I'm not really enjoying are still enjoyable in their own ways because it, it's it's still at its worst good music. <laughs> worst good music? At worst good music. At, well, I mean, well, at a, worst good music. Exactly. Okay, okay. I, I mean, you. like the lowest end is still 
good. Yeah, no, that's that's why I owed uh, Muse such an elaborate introduction this week. <laughs> All right, so that takes us to track seven, JFK. This uh, is another bracketed track. Yeah, that's it's a, just an intro. Just an intro. Mm, not just an intro because this one. Uh, well, let's not say intro. It's an interlude at this point. Nothing yeah. really introducing. I, I think I've kind of put to bed the idea that this was really an album divided up into really strict acts, at least not yeah. in concept acts. Uh, it just moves the theme along. That's what it serves it, to do. And it's a soundbite. And, well, and we're not going to... There is just... music. There's strings. There's a little bit of uh, yeah. metal guitar noises on but top that, of But that's everything. more toward the end. In the beginning, it, it really is in. just dialogue. Uh, builds in gradually. And we will, of course, read this. Uh, it's from a speech by John F. Kennedy from on April 27th, 1961. For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covert means for expanding its sphere of influence, on infiltration instead of invasion, on subversion instead of elections, on intimidation instead of free choice, on guerrillas by night instead of armies by day. It is a system which has conscripted vast human and material resources into the building of a tightly knit, highly efficient machine that combines military, diplomatic, intelligence, economic, scientific, and political operations. Its preparations are concealed, not published. Its mistakes are buried, not headlined. Its dissenters are silenced, not praised. The first thing I want to start by is thanking you for not doing a JFK impression because if you did, I was so tempted in the because beginning. it would to me it would just sound it like Mary yeah, Quimby. No. I just I of just course, hear Mary Quimby. We, we, we all hear Quimby now. That, no, that's stop. exactly it. I was doing Quimby. Oh, we are opposed. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> you know I couldn't done it. Uh, of course. Um, um, so yeah, and this of course being called JFK and being a quote from JFK, which leads into Defector. It just it's interesting because it sounds like he's talking, and this was actually something more from Eisenhower, but it sounds like he's talking about the military-industrial complex. Yeah. Uh, Today's military-industrial complex. Well. Today's warfare. Today's war, then, then, uh, 1961s, but it's the beginning, it's the beginning of a modern style, yeah. obviously. Covert well, it's, it's and, still extremely appropriate, and in fact, this is the sort of speech that you would have got right after September 11th from, from Bush, and in fact, we probably got this type of speech, this exact speech. Yeah, you're right. Of it's just big, not being a stand-up war. It's, this it's is guerrilla war. It's today's style warfare. The idea, and, and uh, th- this is not even really like a right-left situation. This is just with the place that we're in today. No, things sure. are being yeah. things are being done. Who, whoever doesn't like who is going to try to really more subvert them mm-hmm. and, and act, you know, around them rather than act directly. I feel like certainly the early giant wars of the 20th century kind of proved that that is a little bit uh, fruitless, but... Uh, Ever since the Cold War, it, it, it's it's a lot more effective to sort of go around you. Um, and especially now that we have something called the Internet, I, I think this is really more the connection that's being made. Yeah. Uh, I believe that's that's probably why this is still a very, very relevant, relevant speech. Um, and certainly from there, we go into Defector, which is interesting because, of course... Uh, Defector means someone who is obviously completely moved away from from their from their nation, who's gone toward the other side. Yeah. But the interesting thing here is that I gather really more that there is no winner. If there is no winner, yeah. then there are no sides, and the only side, the best side to be on, is your own. <laughs> I, 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 it's, it's really more what I'm getting from the album at this point. I, I'm I'm gonna try to connect this through the lyrics, even before we get into the music itself. But he starts off with track eight, Defector. Free. Yeah, I'm free from your inciting. You can't brainwash me. You've got a problem. Free. Yeah, I'm free from society. You can't control me. I'm a defector. You think you're strong and you can't be broken, but your empire is dissolving. You thought. You thought I was weak, 
but you got it wrong. Look into my eyes, I'm a defector. You see, it doesn't really seem as if it's like a hard, you know, I'm going over to this side. It's, it's, no, it seems like he's I'm just breaking away free from, from the drones. I'm pulling away from all of you, because yeah, yeah. you're, you're, you're both nuts. Yeah. <laughs> you're both going to screw me over in the end. It seems like that's the message. Anti-establishment, again, not far off from that building. But let's talk about the chorus. The chorus is a magical place I love being in in this song. It's operatic. So the way it rings out is very reminiscent, again, of the way Queen would do their big choruses, where everybody would sing along and it would kind of reverb and then gets brighter. It's, it's, it, that's what I said, operatic. Yes. And what it does, I mean, I love the way you get the, the hitch in the, halfway through the chorus, where that, that word, like society, from society, society. Yeah. no, it's society, society. <laughs> is the actual end yes, of they that break phrase. it down to yeah, the syllables. True. T is the beginning of the next phrase, and yeah. the guitar just switches on. Yeah. It goes up like five levels. And of course, the reason uh, we're going to the chorus right away is because we get the chorus right away, which yeah. is unique. Where most tracks here have gone verse chorus. Yeah, verse, this chorus, starts this chorus, chorus and then goes into the verse, first verse. So yeah. bold start. And it really is pretty grand and operatic in itself. I love the, those those clashes, and it is very Queen-esque. I think it, it, it's particularly nice because the chords that those combined that the combined choiring does right there on that society when it all is just them i think it was a diminished shift which is you know really nice and clenched up i I love it but it resolves nicely and i believe the whole track in general it starts off in d major so it's uh it's it's fairly uplifting despite the fact that it's called defector it i mean it's a it's it's a kind of uh, sticking it to the man, and you're supposed to feel good about it. Well, yeah, that's why it has this positive. It's like you're breaking free of the doldrums of these drones. Um, and like anything I just, could be better. Well, speaking of the doldrums, what the verses are doing with they that really sine cool. wave kind of oscillating uh, It gets rumble lower and so rumbles, cool. yeah. Which, it's it's nice that the chorus starts bright, and it starts the song that strong, and then goes into this rumble it's, for the verse. It kind of is it's like... It's hope versus the, the, the kind of anger, the subtle anger that builds over years of being stuck in that job, that cog, that drone position. Yeah. That that it's, that finally getting out of it. It's it's a great contrast between the two and musically I love it. it's kind of dramatically trying to show the shift from hopelessness to hopefulness and it does it instrumentally. It took me a while to even see this track, but I almost kind of see it as an anthem. Uh, like oh, a absolutely. like a patriotic anthem, and the irony is that it's patriotism to yourself and to the idea of independence. It's an anar- anarchical anthem. If that makes an, sense. It's an anthem, but it's it it's so far away from that arena rock style that we got in the, in the previous tracks that kept showing up. It, it's it's not that. I mean, it really is. Black Parade style of anthem. Yeah. No, I can it's, see that. It's a, a completely against the grain it, from the fact that it's talking about going against it dramatically, but the fact that it's it's that back and forth, that high, low, high, low, and then that guitar solo, another just stellar guitar solo of screech, Also metal very patriotic in its ear. way. Yeah. Sort of like, you know, the Jimi Hendrix, you know. Exactly. Uh, and the guitar is just being pulled back and forth. Everything's just being distorted. But it's still so reminiscent of just the classic guitar solo. It's it's another one of those just, let's do it the exact opposite way so that it does it the way it's supposed to be. The guitar even lingers, I noticed, on over the return of the mm-hmm. groove following the solo. Like the like the guitar is now just this mass of people, almost. Yeah. Like it, you can hear the, the reverb of a stadium within this. 
you know. It's trying to highlight individuality in the face of this this control. And I think that positive spin on what had previously been fairly negative of an album, not negative, but like, you know, hopelessness, doldrum, the, the post-apocalyptic, the kind of stuff that we expect from Muse, this kind of turns it on its head, but still supporting the message they're trying to provide. I mean, it's still... It's still in line with what I expect from Muse. Not, really on this, I, yeah. not Muse, this album. This uh, is a turn for the album. For the album, yes. For a thematic, a thematic shift. And, the, and But it still supports the theme. It's just a shift in tone to support the theme, and I appreciate that. Yeah, I got you. I got you. I, it, it, it still had a couple of cliches for me that I was a little bit, you know, on edge with. But otherwise, I still enjoyed the music. It was a good, I enjoy the reprise it, of the solo. And, yeah, it's a blood-pumping type yeah. of a piece. It does a great job <laughs> of getting that going. My only problem is I feel like maybe I can kind of predict the flow of this album. I, I, I guess that's my only problem so far. I don't. Uh, I, would I wish there was a more a more unique take on this because it still is coming across as very very heavy-handedly anti-establishment. I believe there are more grays in life than that. If you're gonna flow, the next track is a little bit on the nose. Revolt. Going from not, defector to revolt and namesake is and, and using, very one too. And using that, we actually get another soundbite from JFK. Yeah. That we look for strength and assistance, confident that with your help, man will be what he was born to be, free and independent. Everything we just said yeah. stated right there on the nose by JFK himself. And then Revolt starts with sirens, and I'm slight aside, whenever I'm listening to an album in my car that has sirens, I'm always looking over my shoulder like, is there something coming? What's going on? Oh, it's just a song. I did I'm not same getting thing. pulled over again, am yeah. I? Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> um, John gets pulled over a lot. It's Shush. Funny. Anyway, um, so Revolt. So clearly this is the natural follow-up to the previous track. I think that, at least in namesake and in style... And in message. I mean, it's it's talking about the actual fight against the establishment that this person abandoned in the previous track. Our freedom's just alone, run by machines and drones. They've got us locked into their sights. Soon they'll control what's left inside. I like that. Uh, a little heavy-handed, but it's there. I do like how this track, though, goes from sirens to instruments starting and singing starting. We hadn't really gotten that yet. Like we're There'd been some runway for most of the tracks here. We kind of get Matt Bellamy right away, and I like that. It's, you know, something a little different again on the album. Yeah, it was um, more of an evasive rhythm in the beginning, which is one of my favorite things about it. I mean, just the fact that he shifted it up a little bit. It kind of sounded like he was uh, sort of blending a duple meter and a triple meter in the beginning. Just just the way the first guitar kind of enters in here. It was just it was against itself uh, because up to up to now it's been a little bit still a little bit too pop for me. And then when it goes back to the chorus, eh, it's still a little too pop for that's, me here that's the... and too Queen for me. This time I'm tired of saying it. This time I, I want more Muse than I want Queen, and the homage itself is 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 losing it. It's losing it with me. I never really equated muse with queen before and maybe that was my fault for just you know not being as aware i guess but i i, I still believe there was uh, less less homages than i see here and maybe it's just because of the patriotic thing maybe because no. the queen used that motif a lot i wouldn't say it's a patriotic thing i think it's just the arena rock style this is the when one they go more arena rock in that's, general. that's yeah. it yeah it's it's the coming together kind of an idea and they got, are the modern arena rock band You've yeah. got strength, you've got soul, you've felt pain, you've felt love. You can grow, you can grow, you can grow, you can grow. You can make this, bur- you can make this world what you want. 
You can revolt. You can I, revolt. You can revolt. And that becomes almost... It's not chanting, but it's that kind of mentality of, yes, revolt, revolt, revolt. The I, arms in the air. I almost games. feel like he's brainwashing me at this point. Yeah, well, there you go. I think also this idea, like, the previous track was somewhat uplifting, which gave a good perspective. But this song also is uplifting. And while it's a good pair to the previous track, I just feel like at this point, I want them to go back to the less pop stuff. Like, that was our biggest problem with moments on Second Law, if I recall correctly, is it did feel very more pop and mainstream. And there were a lot of tracks here that are falling into the same trap. Yeah, you're right. It was the second half, specifically. And so I think, while I like what they're doing, and like even the solo in this track is fun, I just felt like the song as a whole, this track for sure, was predictable, very pop, and very mainstream. It was the fact that they're calling for revolt in their chorus... And it's so safe where the chorus ends. Yeah. The conclusion of that phrase where it goes back to a restart, which in and of itself actually kind of works in this case, but the safety the chorus actually stops in, where everything just culminates the way it should again, mm-hmm. is just so opposed I as, as identities that I just... I can't get on board. It's like we all showed up in tuxedos to an opera, and then halfway through the opera, they were like, nah, just kidding. We just gotta play some songs. I mean, yeah, it's... That's actually not a bad way of putting it. I think also for me, like, I like the chorus. It's got a good hook, but I don't like it because it's mind-blowing. I like it because it's catchy, and that's okay, too. You know, I don't want to... I don't want this to be us bashing them because they're being catchy and pop. Because We're being I, very particular in this episode in general, and I believe it's because it's Muse. Well, that's why. It's a band we're familiar with. We were just as picky in particular with bands like Green Day, Weezer, and others that we know well, and so I think we just expected a little more. All right, this, we're particular in general. Who am I kidding? Right. But to say, though, about this song, it was on the shorter side. It didn't overstay its welcome, so for being a pop track, at least it didn't drone on and drag on, no pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't actually think of that. All right, let's go to track 10, Aftermath. So Um, these three tracks do have a very um, specific kind of one, two, three as far as titling goes, which I appreciate from a thematic point, I guess. Thematically, we're going to be including the the next track as well when we start getting the ideas. This does kind of squash my concept here, because really, as far as this goes, this does bring us back to a much more grand sense. They're, they're just for first of all the Gregorian chant that kind of starts this off. I love this aesthetic. I'm a sucker for it. It's it's certainly dark, it's certainly dystopian, like a like there's a monastery there because it's it's being equated maybe to the dark ages where of course you had this lack of a of a of a singular power and the monks are keeping or the they are the keepers of all things culture and faith is what you turn to. I don't know. I feel like this is just the general the general concept of a dystopian uh, environment is that well there's going to, it's going to reduce itself to that so of course things become a lot simpler and the music gets simpler here too so so far I'm really on board with the musical choice then the vocals step in and it's almost a contrast the way while while the, it it works great it feels a little broadway it feels like that sort of style. Like the low-key Broadway song? That's so yeah, wild. the sort of the conclusionary build-up build type track, or maybe the title track from, from a musical that's going to be reinvented over and over again. This might be a mid-version of it. Well, even before that, actually, just before we get into this, because uh, I really, the, the guitar prior to this, um, mm-hmm. I don't want to quite gloss that over, because oh, that was jam. actually something that really bridged this together. You don't just go from the, the, the monastic, you know, monks into the... the 
into Matt Bellamy. You, you, yeah. There's that bridge there, and that's actually using the guitar, which I thought was pretty interesting because it's kind of it almost is like it's improving. It's made to it's made almost to sound as if it's acoustic, which would make sense because in the aftermath you don't really have electrical outlets normally. Normally, yeah. just saying. And well, then you have outlets, you have no power. You have no power. Yeah, yeah, they're right. They're still there. Just just get they're getting moldy. And then. It's interesting because really it is electric. Like, I don't believe there's really many acoustic tracks that Muse does, but it, it's it's as close as you're gonna get, and it actually does blend this 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 white noise of of Gregorian sounds into this this nice sweet sad Broadway verse, which is Mad Bellamy singing, and I, I was liking it. it was, it's nice, it's sweet, but I didn't really start appreciating this track until the bass started. The bass, I believe, makes it because it kind of turned itself into a more of a slow jam. I think it's one of my favorite things about Muse really is the bass, as you gather from not just their singles, but about everything they they do. It's it's so inflected, it's so it's so busy, but it also knows when to just like uh, tone it back a little bit and you know yield to the the leading instrument, the leading instrument which is usually Matt Bellamy's vocals. Something was just very very blended here and it became a natural slow jam which again, sure, it's just a it's just a song at this point. We always have this split between the grand stuff and the, and the more straightforward stuff, but I don't know. I I could at least enjoy it for what it was. I want to go back to what John said a little bit about the Broadway nature of this. I think what I like about the song and what lends to it feeling more Broadway is this feels like the hero coming to a realization song. You know, this feels like the lead character getting it. to a point where he's realizing stuff about the world around him, about his own choices, about the choices he's making, the choices he's influencing. Yep. And it feels very a culmination in all of those things to, uh, like, you know, uh, come to Jesus, as people will call it, you know, this wake up moment. As, especially yeah. towards the end, especially the way everything just starts getting just introduced. Builds and builds and slowly. It build. I you kind of can guess when an instrument's gonna come in, mm-hmm. and when it comes in, it's good and it does fit the what's going on right there. But it's it's a it's just a solid build through what the last minute or so of the mm-hmm. track. Almost uh, choirs come in, like the backup vocalist. The way that steps in feels choir like. Feels like. Everybody else in the cast showing up and start singing, and then eventually the spotlights go out. Eventually, the individuals are being are, are going away, and you're just getting the vocalist. You're yeah. just getting the hero, and then you culminate. But this ain't the last track. No, it kind of no. it kind of is a period, but at the same time, it feels like the end of a first act, and we're near the end of the album, so it just seems a little odd. Maybe a placed. second act and. Yeah, well, it makes yeah. sense when you consider what track 11 really is. The Globalist was actually described by Matt Bellamy himself as a 10-minute prog nightmare, uh, and that it's about the rise and fall of a dictator. This came from the same interview, by the way, with uh, with um, BBC. Amy B- with BBC. So, uh, this is another strange case of, of, of mixed reactions. First of all, just from the way this begins, I feel like with the whistling and everything, I'm about to get thrown into the Kill Bill saga. Yeah. <laughs> prairie guitar. Western, we have you know. prairie guitar. Yeah, the prairie guitar. Happy yeah. trails going on right here. Whistling. The whistling <laughs> is a very, like, lone wanderer feeling. I'm familiar with the setup. It's very theatrical. I've said this a ton on the record. But when just, you're... Yeah, I'm just, it's it's familiar, too. Yeah. It's not... Well, just... what comes in a little bit later, the twangy guitar and the marching beat from about two minutes onward. It's that it's, moving forward it's feel. The, it, it's, it's more, it can be more obvious as to where it would go. Before That's we, the next big thing Before we rush this track, because of course it is 10 minutes long, and we are going to kind of condense it a little bit, but I do want to say that there's one through line that needs to be said. On headphones, it is especially beautiful, and it's especially oh. tastefully mixed. Um, 
That's what I meant, like, kind of last week when I said I w couldn't quite get on board with, like, let's say the mixing job on maybe Static by Huntress, mm -hmm. because I feel like uh, th th it's just the production work, the production values is, is not, it's, it's not there, and it's not in most bands, frankly, as it is here. Everything is so well balanced. Just listen to the delicate division of the drums between ears. It's, it's, it's amazing. And then, if you just look at that, then obviously this is going to be a pleasure to listen to. But if you get into the particulars of the structure of it, um, the 10-minute prog nightmare, which is, yeah, it's scary at times, I, but it's not... It's not groundbreaking to me in any way. I feel like this is just a... It, it, it gives me a smattering of different aesthetics uh, that I already am familiar with. Like like John was saying, more toward like 2 minutes 55, you finally get the verse. And from there, it's, it's very smooth. Uh, around deeper in, around like 4 minutes 20 seconds, we start really breaking it down and we get really scary around 4.39. This is, I guess, the nightmare part. Um, the bass really kicks in here. It rings closer to uh, hysteria, certainly, that, that type of bass work. That sticks around for about two minutes, and then we go into uh, the, the beautiful piano-string combination. Which is an odd shift in itself. I like it. I love it, the, the, the classical piano around, like, six minutes, you know, 30. And it's like when the classical piano enters, it's almost as if everything's fine again. It's as if the nightmare really didn't last that long amidst this track. I think if my that's my, the nightmare. <laughs> I think my biggest problem with this track now that we've kind of gone into all three parts is that you know because the end is kind of light and and, and ambient and then ends. And, and I realize we're condensing. Well, this. It, I realize yeah. we are. That but, ending also has that kind of choir instrumentation again as each mm -hmm. individual instrument's voice starts coming in. Another one of those you can kind of see the flow going. My biggest problem is I think I found in previous with previous bands who have done something like this, they break up the tracks to a one, two, and part one, part one, part two, and part three. And here, this song, putting it all together in one 10 minute thing, you're, you're, you're expecting the audience to make those differences instead of knowing it's separate tracks. I mean, I guess it's all the same, but my biggest problem here is it feels like a very short 10 minute album instead of one track on a larger album to me. Um, that might be one way to look at it. It's sort of like a condensed idea because it does break apart what was going on previously in the album, the the revolution against the drone nature. This is just a summation of a revolution itself in some ways. Talking about fighting against the worlds, you go from calm to nuclear destruction, back to calm again. Very rapidly, it's a very condensed story that is sort of the explanation of the larger story. I want it very clear. I am a fan of Prague. I've said that many times on this podcast in general, that I'm a fan of Prague and I like what Prague does, the fact that it offers me new material. That's just the thing here. I don't really believe I'm getting new material. I'm getting new material for the track. In yeah. other words, it gives me new new things to look at, but I feel like it's always just like a snapshot of another different setting and another different location that another band could give me. And, and that's the problem, it's, which is why I really hate saying this, because it's, it's, it's the critic's, you know, number one pretentious word. It feels a little contrived. This point in the album, this, this track feels a little contrived. I just, I want something that is more originally muse at this point. Dive deeper into, into your own feelings on the matter than pulling from these other, other thematic or theatrical expositions on that particular thing. And you can almost tell that he's kind of just slicing this up because each and every section is very, very divided. They repeat an even number of times. It's not very fluid. It's like a 
two times, you repeat it twice, or you repeat it four times, or eight, sixteen, even divisions. It's not like it's not like this flowing, composed masterpiece from one section to the next. It really is just sections smashed together. One thing I do like, though, lyrically, it does have uh, a bit going on for it, and the ending I particularly like. There's no culture left to love and cherish. It's gone. You know it's gone for good. A trillion memories lost in space and time forevermore. I just wanted, I just needed to be loved. I love the idea of the man who burns the world down. Yeah, yeah. Some people just want to watch the world burn. It's, it's even it's even further than that. Yeah. He's just, he's getting marshmallows. Yeah. Like, that's the kind of mentality that seems to be going on there. He wanted destruction. That is one of the few things connecting it back to it. While the music itself, the song itself seems to have a little bit too closed nature, the lyrics do still promote the theme, but it's sort of like very quickly after his revolution and then very far after his revolution. There I, seems to be a mid-ground that's missing. I think what leads me to what Steve's saying is the lyrics. It feels contrived because the lyrics and the music, the, the messaging isn't super clear, and it feels so divided from part to part, and maybe even if the lyrics are a tighter through line, the instrumentation taking hard stops and hard shifts really kind of takes me out of it every time it happens, which is why I think it feels more like a very tiny prog album than a prog song. Mm, yeah, and there even seemed to be another case of like music borrowing. I felt like much later when the when the male choir starts to sing, they were borrowing from some piece of music. Oh, I wish I had it at my, at my fingertips, but I don't. Feel free to comment in the comments section. I just... Wasn't able to pick that out, but I feel like it's a phrase of something. Um, whether that's intentional or not, who knows. But it sounded more like the anthem type of track. Let's go to track 12. Last track on the album, Drones. Uh, title track at the end of the album. Title track at the end of the album. Which Back is... to the Gregorian chant. Oh, and this makes me so, so... It makes me hurt so bad that I actually criticize him for anything because he's such a good composer literally it's not just gregorian it's even further than that like this is this is yeah you get gregorian but this is cathedral level this is huge style it's and part, idea it's, it's legit four-part harmony um yeah yeah that's all right we can't even call it gregorian because you don't even have four-part harmonies in gregorian chants it's pretty monophonic is, for the most is, part yeah this is this is cathedral quiet well there's style. an echo over it too which kind of adds that cathedral feel or open religious space feel at least and if you want to talk lyrics, because the vocals themselves are very difficult to explain the interaction between we the two. We should say it is completely a cappella. There's no and instrumentation. That's hard that's to do yeah. the way they're going back and forth. But the lyrics, killed by drones, my mother, my father, my sister, and my brother, my son and my daughter, killed by drones. Our lives between your fingers and your thumb. Can you feel anything? Are you dead inside? Now you can kill from the safety of your home with drones. Amen. It's just... <laughs> that's just... Okay, that's messed up. It's, and I like it. <laughs> it's, it's creepy. Uh, my biggest thing, because there's not going to be a lot to say from instrumentation, obviously, other than the way the vocals interact, but I feel like this is the wrap-up to the album we didn't quite get. If I just heard the first track and the last track, I'd be like, wow, the middle's going to be great because they're so connected. And it just, you know, it dives in and out. It doesn't... We don't really get the album... We get, we get a great theme throughout. It does remain that story that the even the artwork sets up. It's, it's just, just the instruments after they dip in and songs, out a little bit. Yeah, it just don't really live up. But I love the way this album ends. This is a perfect ending to an album we didn't get, as far as I'm concerned. It really just... You it, see, I'm going to refute that. 
And unless anybody has anything to add, I'll go into my wrap-up. Um, I will only say that this last track was expert, mostly. I feel like he maybe lost uh, the, the, the theme of it a little bit in the middle, but overall it's brilliant. Again, I, I, I generally am, am raving at him. I just, <laughs> I, I just, in particular within what he does, it's because I, I, I want so much. <laughs> this album, to refute your point, Storm, <laughs> is... The only thing we really didn't get is the epicness, quote-unquote, the, the, the actual, like, grandeur this... <laughs> outro seems to want to you know, showcase it wasn't grand by any means throughout but i think the the idea and the summation in drones does a great job to actually explain the theme to put a conclusion to this album the hiccup is actually the 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 long track the globalist that one feels like it's sort of a afterword explaining the story while drones does finalize everything it does put a period there and for its actual story i mean muse is it's not a rock opera but it is a cohesive theme driven album that does a lot to maintain its message throughout the idea of both in a military sense and in a societal sense everybody is sort of a cog in the machine the drone drones is appropriate title it's so on the nose but they don't overuse that mentality too heavily. It's just reference material. It's it's written in a lot of ways like a book, like a story. There is a, an underlying current in the lyrics that keeps everything together, but it's not so heavy-handed for me to go, oh, of course they're going to start talking about drones right now, because that's <laughs> the point. word. I like it, and even though words come up a lot, that the words we keep repeating come up a lot, it's used in such a way that I enjoy it. Couple that with even when... Well, I'm not really enjoying them, great vocals. When I'm not really enjoying them, great instruments. And when I am enjoying them, like, really just, for me, mind-blowing parts of songs and songs themselves. And, like, four amazing solos throughout that I just want to latch on to. It's got a lot going on for it. It's just, in a lot of ways, it's, it, it, the little bits that are missing are adding up a, a lot at the end of the day so it's not a four it's it's just shy it's a 3.9 i'm gonna be a little kinder in my outro than maybe it seemed like i was in the album because it, it it's strange if you listen to these podcasts from one to the other you might notice that certainly for the past year we really are are much more inclined i think to I think to approach every track with a, a degree of optimism, uh, uh, much more so than we were in our early days, which is why it's, it's a shame because I, I read the whole intro and how we were this was going to be so dramatically different um, from episode 16. But despite that, we're a lot more wordier now. Um, the funny thing is, I really feel it reflected our, our episode 16 discussion somewhat similarly. We were both kind of. I guess critical at Muse for the same exact things, and this is where I'm going to be kinder. I want to pull it back to say that some of the things that John just noted, the facts that Muse uses this thematic, uh, this very theatrical and, and yes, quote-unquote epic as much as we hate the, the word, they use it to their advantage, but sometimes they don't go all the way with it, and they merely give us rock tracks. Well, that's not merely. They don't merely give us rock tracks. They give us incredible rock tracks. Exactly. And yes, it's through the pop lens, but so what? I, I guess that's really the, the thing that the more particular parties out there uh, of music 
criticdom are probably having their their issue with Muse because they see an otherwise amazingly talented uh, three-piece band, right, uh, with an amazingly talented composer at, at at the forefront, and then they say, all right, well, well, go all out, you know, and then they don't quite do that, or or sometimes they go further than they expected, and so Muse winds is up winds up in this really weird middle ground. Um, I like middle grounds actually. That's the thing. <laughs> I, I like it more than I let on. You know, despite the fact that it makes me question as I go is actually probably a good thing. Um, I see the talents, and yes, a lot of this I can rock out to, and I'm I'm being thrown in instances in very subtle ways, in very particular ways. I I, I think my only problem at the end of the day with this album is just the fact that from the theme perspective it is a little bit of the on the nose thing the idea that i could kind of predict the flow of this album up and down and in terms of his his indictment on 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 drones and i i like i said i believe that that life is just a little bit more gray than this but the problem really comes down to this that this album is somewhere between an art piece and an essay and I think the essay starts to lean a little bit close in the forefront, which is why I don't think this is like super upper echelon territory. Otherwise, maybe it would be. I just don't think I don't think the point is anything new. You know, just the fact that me and John were having this discussion not just two weeks ago, and frankly, the whole world should be having this discussion. Uh, These are societal problems we need to think about. Art will, art, art will help. Art will help. Yeah. But there's there's not a lot of meat. I think in this particular side of the point, I would rather read the essay if I was on that. But for Muse, I, I I want the art. I want I want I want more. I want the the rock. I don't know, or even the the symphonic stuff. Whatever they can they can do. But this was somewhere in the middle ground thematically. Musically, it's still pretty damn solid. I I I think I'm I think that puts me right where John is. I think this is a three point nine. It's just a hair behind because something is just not quite jiving. But otherwise, really good stuff. Everyone should should dive into this and and pick apart the good stuff. Um, all right, my turn. So, uh, I did sound a little harsh on the album towards the end. And I want to make it clear that even when we've used this qualifier before, but especially with Muse, when they do stuff that sounds mainstream, it still sounds better than the mainstream stuff because there's still a technical aspect that a lot of the other bands can't hit. And for that, I thank Muse because I enjoy that. Um, I'm not going to elaborate too much on what John and Steve already said because they said it. But um, I think the album has a solid arc. I think the constant mention of drones from track to track is really what pulls it together. That theme that's kind of always in the back of your head and them constantly bringing it up, but not in obvious ways. Working it into the track really well, per track that features it, really kind of pulls the album together for me. I will agree, though. I feel like, and this is what hurts me, is that I think I was overly harsh on their last album, Second Law. I don't know that I feel that this is better. I don't know that I feel it's worse either. I just feel like I was too easy on the previous... I was too harsh on the previous record. I do like how in reports and, and articles they said that this album was stripped down. And what stripped down means is they didn't have orchestras this time. I yeah, they only had like a five-piece band. That, that, I think that's hilarious to me. <laughs> but um, I like it. I mean, at the core of it, the, 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 the most simplest way I can put it is I like it. I enjoy it. You know, Muse oh, never ceases to disappoint as far as enjoyment goes. I agree with Steve, though. I think what's said is more impactful here than how it's said musically. 
what is said vocally and what is said actually in the lyrics is way more impactful. And that, I think, is what holds it back the most. The theme is still strong. There's lots of strong music and tons of great vocals. But it just it, it doesn't come together neatly to make that overall thing. And my art versus essay comment is actually, I think, I think it's attributed to Second Law as well as this album. It's Muse in general and their direction at the moment. So yeah, uh, exactly, Steve. I think that for me, you know, as a whole, as a full package, I like it, but it doesn't hit that upper echelon either. Um, and because there wasn't even an emotional connection to put it a little bit ahead of you guys, I'm kind of really in the same place. It's a 3.9. I think that wow. the, <laughs> I think that the last record should have been a, a four because it was broaching the better stuff. And I rated it really low, I think a 3.5 back then. I think I was just overly harsh. We, we haven't had the, le- the same exact rating, all three of us, in, in a while. Time. When's the last time I went with a 0. 0.9, all I right? Know. Come on, I have to be specific. But I do want to say that I still think this is something that we should look to for good message, great messaging in music and great rock. I mean, we don't really have a lot of just great straight-up rock lately that I found that isn't mainstream rock. And, you know, I mean, Muses lean more mainstream, but yeah, 3.9 is where I sit for this album. So I'm happy we reviewed it. it. It it allowed me to also look at how we discussed the previous record, which which I want to go back and listen to again as well. Um, now I wanted to let you guys know, the listeners, not the guy sitting across from me, that we're gonna we're gonna um, have a topic that I'm gonna sit out of. I'm traveling to Orlando next week for Mozilla, and um, so I'm not gonna be in town. And we've got to wrap up for today. But uh, Steve and John could continue to carry the torch and have a topic for you guys. And so let's go to John and Steve. And then there were two. That's right, Matt is no longer with us as he went to catch a plane, hopefully having fun in Orlando, working for Mozilla on a business trip. So now it's down to me and John in a different recording environment, as you can probably tell. But that works out, because this is a chance for some brainstorming slash more of an episode zero of a project that me and John have actually been toying with for a while. A concept for a new series on Crash Chords set to launch early 2016, which, if it goes through, will be our third series. Number one being the show that you're listening to. Frankly, we're more than 90 minutes into the show already, so you should probably know its name by now. That's our Pillar series, the Crash Chords podcast, which is all about album analysis, review, and occasionally with guests to help us out. Finally, at the very end of the discussion, we have roundtable discussions on music topics in general. More on that in a moment. The second series in Crash Chords is Crash Chords Autographs. That's a series that Matt started a little over a year ago under a format where he conducts interviews from artists of all kinds, and he does this every episode instead of our surprise monthly guests on the Crash Chords podcast, which are really special episodes for us. So for autographs, it's, it's more of a hot seat podcast, and that's how he makes friends. So, yeah, it's, it's a bi-weekly series, by the way. The first is a weekly series. Well, for number three, me and John thought we'd tackle a series that concerns the debate aspect of what our topics usually broach near the end of the Crash Chords podcast, the topics that would normally appear in this exact time slot, in fact, in which we are now talking. But here's the deal. Our topics usually function more like afterthoughts of the series. After discussion, all, yeah, yeah discussion afterthoughts, right. Because you are 90 minutes in, and frankly, you're probably a bit burned out by now into this episode. So how much could you really absorb in this time slot? So we thought we'd base a whole series about these topics, topics that skirt some of the issues that we and artists run into on a daily basis. But there is a debate to be had in those topics, and that's the premise for this upcoming series. Debate. One-on-one debates. And we'll be taking some hard looks at a variety of things, and this time taking sides. Of course, this is still in the development process, and we'll be crowdsourcing this for a while, but let's uh, talk about how you think it would go. 
Well, first, one of the things that we always have after a podcast is, oh, we could have done this, we could have done that, or I would have wished that we could have done so that this, could have gone in this direction when we we're having our discussions. Right, because we're pushing, you know, two hours perhaps by that point, and Four I think hours, we're all a little burned yeah. out. Forget about our audience, how about us? Yeah, <laughs> and there's always ideas we like to revisit, but it always, there just never seems to be enough time, even when we do part twos, part threes of discussions, when we start going into, oh, let's bring this back. Yeah. Well, sometimes they're not really the argumentative side we try to just be explanatory well in this new idea we're going to be argumentative we're actually going to try to adhere to a fairly stiff and formal though we're still going to be friendly debate format a classic debate think back to those high school debate teams that you probably had even if you weren't a part of them i was part of it for a very brief period of time i kind of regret not going further with it but what we really want to do is is Start doing more research and tackling some of the more gripping topics that seem to approach music, as well as some of the more esoteric ideas. So, I mean, one of the first ideas I came up with, which was better, Ameripop or Britpop? Like, <laughs> that's the sort of debate that you really can't do without have a lot of research. Well, when people talk about the British invasion, of course, it's kind of, they're almost saying that the, the, the word for it is, in fact, that, well, the Brits are probably doing better. Exactly, Because if yeah. the Americans are just following suit, then, you know, there's something to be had there. There's something that is sellable. And maybe during periods of time where American music was not making so much of a foray into their culture, that pop really is a big thing. And it, it, frankly, it's kind of led by the Brits and has been traditionally. And what we want to do, and we want to apply the same sort of research and and diving into the depths that we do with our standard uh, album reviews to these debate formats. Yeah, okay, our discussions sometimes are light, sometimes are heavy, and sometimes we actually do look at a lot of it. But at the same time, we don't spend two hours just listening to the album. We don't spend three or four previous listens when we're just talking about, you know, who was the best vocalist of their time or what album is really the one that pushed the boundaries. We save that a lot of the times for, well, our end-of-year review. Who had the best lyrics? Who had the best vocals? Who had the best instrumentation? The best moment? Little stuff like that. Well, we don't get to do that when we start approaching our topics. Like, when we start talking about political music or something like that, we can't really... It's more broader. Yeah, right. we, we can't really focus on, like, where it was instrumental or where we can have a, a great discussion or the pros and cons. And that's really the focus. In many ways, the, the, our topics at the, end of the, at the end of the Crash Chords podcast are really more a throwback to the original three-dude podcast dynamic where no one really has their notes. No one has the research that we actually bring to the review portion, which is the primary portion of the series. Instead, we're just kind of drawing from our own experiences. And because we are three people, we come at it from different angles. But it is very loose. And our idea here is that we would really take the classic debate structure and it would be a one-on-one thing and maybe even break it down by monologue to monologue and the idea is that well when one person provides their monologue and their points then the other person actually has time to go research and bring hard stuff to the table that you can't just dismiss in terms of your typical well you know that's objective man (laughs) yeah and what it also allows us to do is take stances we wouldn't normally. This is also a way that we're going to be challenging ourselves because not every topic are we going to agree with the position we're taking. Uh, That's one of the primary focuses of debates themselves, of Mm -hmm. debate club. It was to get you to do some critical thinking. Exactly. So so it's a way to expand what we as content providers can actually do for you, our listeners. Sometimes I'm going to completely disagree with what I'm saying. Steve as well. I mean, a lot of times... 
yeah, we might be on opposite aisles and we might actually choose the one we prefer on these different questions we come up with. But at other times, we're going to try to mix it up and actually be arguing from an opposite point of view. Yeah. It may even be things we don't really care about, but one of us does. And I was thinking uh, an interesting way to approach that would be just a coin flip. Yeah. The idea that, well, all right, here are two sides. And as, as much as maybe I really think I know the side that I'm on, if I get the wrong side of the coin then we have to be a little bit harsher against our own preconceptions. A lot of diligence, a lot of just, you know, work. <laughs> yeah, we're finding new ways to make we're... ourselves work harder. Oh, God. Well, actually, here, here's an interesting throwback to the first episode of the Crash Chords podcast, which I know is ages ago, and don't judge it too harshly. But that actually had a topic that concerned technology and its effect on the music industry. In fact, I made a point to go back and include it in the title, because our episodes didn't used to be titled by, you know let's say, Living Things by Linkin Park. It, it, they used to just be Crash Chords Podcast Episode 1, which was really not descriptive and really horrible for SEO. We had a we had a crisis when we were hitting triple digits. We forgot how we were going to be numbering them, and I had to go back, and Steve had to redo all that. Exactly. Well, I thought that maybe I would go back and add the topic to each and every one along with our album review, but then your title would be way too long. So I decided to only do that for the first episode, just as kind of a promotional thing for the series, like, hey, technology and its effect on the music industry. This is things that we might be doing. And then if you want to get into the specifics, please refer to the Excel archive to actually find those uh, those in more detail as we go through the series. But I was thinking that it would be a, a nice thing actually to go back to that for the sake of this debate show. Um, repercussions and reasoning for, let's say, releasing music for free, which was a big element of that discussion, as I recall. And of course, we were just, you know, shooting the poop in the first episode of the series, seeing whether the whole thing was even viable. But if we could attack that on a, some harsher terms could be interesting. Uh, not just the repercussions of for you as an artist, or also like how it affects your iTunes, how it affects Bandcamp. You have two diametrically opposed formats for releasing music. iTunes is all about mass crowdsourcing money, while Bandcamp is all about the personalization and actually trying to give content to people. Yeah, There's all these different ways it can be approached, and we're going to try to do that. That's, that's one of the Maybe not the first, but one of the first few topics we actually do want to go through. Sure, and in fact, even just thinking about that, a lot of things have changed in three years since we have actually discussed that. For instance, Apple may not be, well, they're still kind of the top dog, but they're they're showing signs of being beaten out by their own game. I don't, Bandcamp was not quite as big, I think, back then. Uh, now it's like the go-to thing for most bands if they want to become upstarts they don't always become successful at it but it's a much bigger model it's also that you could bring in parts about spotify and other organizations that have these sort of massive libraries that you just listen to and how that affects the artists themselves mm -hmm. these are just ideas that well we just don't get enough time in the day to delve into it and then do it at the end of a podcast. It's very easy for someone, I guess, at the end of our normal topics to say, like, well, I don't really feel like I came home with anything. Yes. You know, and that's that's the idea. It's, it's, we're just kind of loosening up, and a lot of times we try to relate it back to the, the album review itself. A lot yeah. of times it is an, it is like more of an, an answer, an epilogue, sort of. We also want to be able to have the opposing view, even if we don't agree with it. We want to be able to give that aspect of the information. Just like our reviews themselves we try our best to be as fair and balanced as you can possibly be when you're discussing art. Yep. Here we want to be able to give you, well, yes, I love this for what it is, but there's reasons not to love it. 
and that's what this format is going to be doing. Yeah, really even just pushing the boundaries of our trying to think outside the box and think outside ourselves as a whole. Here's another uh, interesting topic that I thought we could maybe tackle. Things that are innovative and perhaps things that might fade away. Like, start thinking critically about exactly what is being brought brought to the table and what really has the capacity to stick around. Because a lot of things come and go with music. And uh, I think, in general, more things go than come. And then there's also all those little aspects of technology that have stuck around, but you can argue whether or not they were good things. In the long haul, did they expand upon the art, or did they dumb it down a little bit too much? We love dishing out some insults on a lot of different types of music, but certain tools, such as auto-tune, we bring up from time to time. Well, there is the argument, did it make it easier for people to become musicians mm. to become singers because now you don't have to be as good or do you lose some of that genuine bad singing which has its own place in art it has its own little like nostalgia in my heart at least it does have a niche exactly like well at the end of the day i guess the question will end up becoming has autotune added or subtracted from music itself Another idea that we're I know the on. side that I want to take, but I the, know. the coin flip may not be kind. Because <laughs> I think we both want to be on that side. Uh. But it's something worth actually doing the research on. Not just, okay, not it's just great. Not just up-chucking a response because you feel it's yes. the right one. Because we both would have that the same response. stupid man. Yes, exactly. But there will be data that we're going to try to provide that says, well, in this way, Autotune has done great things because now musicians are able to do this. Because now musicians that never would have gotten the time of day are multi-million dollar, multi-platinum record stars. That is great in its own way. It may not be great for everything, and it may not be great for the art itself, but there always will be positives and negatives to everything that we bring to this show. Absolutely. Um, and finally, just a little light topic, but this one is actually something I've been thinking about for a while, um, and, and you brought it up. The positives and negatives of rhythm games, which is curious, because rhythm games... Obviously, they've been around since Guitar Hero was the first, right? Rock, ba rock band closely followed. Yes. And um, I'm a little out of my rock band playing phase, but I used to play it a lot. And I remember thinking, well, this is addicting, if nothing else, and I certainly like it from a music perspective, but maybe I just like it more from, from a video game perspective. Not even being a, like a, a huge gamer myself, but I like, I like patterns. And some of my earliest content to the website was articles on exactly this, video gaming and its relationship with music. And I did delve into the history of the rhythm game scene a little bit, lightly touched upon it. But it's something that I, I've always enjoyed. I mean, now there's apps that let you play the piano mm -hmm. on your phone. And, well, well where does... Well, here's the thing. I, I would say, I would say just at the outset, most people would probably say, well, unanimously, it has to be helpful, right? Um, of course, it's bringing music to a younger generation. It's encouraging them to uh, like different music because, of course, they have a new selection to choose from. They're getting into music perhaps even through the game itself, and it's teaching them coordination. All great things, right? Just, just on the face of it, all great things. Yes, but at the same time, you can be argued that it distills music out of its art form and becomes a mathematical formula because you have to know what buttons to press. Yeah. It also removes it from enjoyment because now you're focusing on a video game while the music playing in the background is just something that you're trying not to mess up as opposed to listen to. And opposed to something that is distinctly musical. After a while, you 
after all, you have to feel it. You have to feel it at the end of the day. It's some of the early things that you're actually taught by, by music teachers. Uh, I had a piano teacher, and it's not just all about hitting the right notes. It's not all about just, you know, looking at the staff paper and saying, okay, this, this key equals that note. It's not about that. There's beyond that. There's dynamics. The dynamics that are things you can't really control in these games. They're not the point. It's not about getting louder or softer. The game takes care of that for you. It's all just, it's a slot. It's, a, it's an element of the piece of music. And it, it's, it's, it's fun in the process, absolutely. And I do think it, it's a big component of co is coordination. You know, that's something that music teachers do have to approach. But it's not everything. And, and rhythm games will certainly stop. I, I believe that's their cap. <laughs> or unless the new game comes around, see? Well, there was recently could... the, most, the newest of the rock bands just dropped. Ah. And from sales figures, I'm not quite sure how it's doing yet. Okay. Well, I mean, the newest rock bands really are just about bringing new music, right? It's not really changing the core of the game, is it? Uh, from my understanding, and I did look at it a little bit. Nah, no, it didn't look like there was anything now, though. I yeah. believe there's a first-person rocking point of view. First, oh. <laughs> yeah, you're looking so you at the look crowd. So you could look at the crowd. Okay, that's kind of nice. And they boo and hold up signs that say you suck and things like that when you're doing oh. poorly. Yeah. So, oh, so great. Then then kids get to actually learn about how to feel bad about themselves and, and be deterred from art. <laughs> there's a, there's, there's, yeah. Uh, well, we'll actually, no, actually, that's important, I think. I think that's important. I, I, <laughs> I'm going to credit them. But, uh, you know, I, after all, what this series would do is, I guess, push us to know more than than just the core games. There are more rhythm games out there, and I'm sure there might be some developers actually thinking about these questions. Yeah, just as Guitar Smith, a game which tried to teach you how to play guitar. Didn't do too well because, well, you bought a guitar, and it was more expensive than normal guitar because it was a guitar that could hook up to a game console. Ah. And little things like that. Uh, there's a lot to it. But well, that's pretty ironic because really that would be what you'd think would be the crossover, and that failed. <laughs> so that just goes to show people really do like to keep you know their mediums separate in the end. One is a game, one is music. But it's young. <laughs> it's yeah. young as a whole. Yes. So let's... Uh, I, I think that's a fair fair assessment of what we'd like to be doing i guess at this point if there are any listeners out there and if you like some of these topics we'd like to hear from some of your own do you have anything that you'd like to see brought to the table and you can get as uh you can come at us as, as hard as you want we're ready we really are and uh the other thing is we're looking for inspiration for our name though i we have a tentative one that um, i like it I, I do like it as well. I, I almost don't want to spoil it, but uh, here it is. If you've listened this long, here it is. Crash Discords. Yeah, it's a pun, and yeah, I love it. It does work, but that's I guess I love I'm, it, but I'm, I'm I, I won't take credit. It's John's. So if it's bad, <laughs> it's John's. <laughs> really, that's I guess it's the easiest way to sum up what we're trying to do. It's it's a discourse on on the music that we've known and love. It's it's a discourse on the music industry on the actual art itself. We want to be argumentative, and we want to challenge you and ourselves. But I even pulled more from it, more from that. I mean, it's discord. It is the nature of, of being on opposite sides of an argument. Yeah. So yeah. people Both. might think discourse. I actually thought discords, and that goes more hand-in-hand hand with the pun, after all, yeah. since chords... We're going to work you know, about this, the same deal now. Yeah. Yeah, same it's thing. still a work in process. <laughs> Well, all right, 2016. We got to 2016. Are you ready to hear the spam of the week? Oh, yes, I'm, I'm quite ready. You better be, because it's coming at you. Gift aid, you turn. Your play brave, many, many lives say a miniature additive. Regulate and money. These stores whirl air mass-style brands at low prices because they are unidentifiable. Emeralds are particularly touristed. 
Try hunt for a alter monetary value which yields a higher, higher asking reward for it. Now. Buy. Buy Canada Goose Jacket. Which is, I believe... That, that's... That's weird because most of they're these... They're working for someone else. I don't I don't know what's going on. Are they actually a can, Canadian base? Are they uh, I would think they're Canadian based. Possibly, but, but I don't a lot know. Of people that. just don't don't bother with that sort of thing. Like they say can, can, maybe it's Canadian this geese. This is why we need the series. Maybe it's We just, can go home. It's just Canadian geese. And find out the response. And and the jackets themselves are manufactured and designed and everything like that in like an Eastern European like country or something like that. Like maybe that's where it's coming from. Because most spam does originate in Eastern Europe and China, so it's probably there. Okay, I'm episode saying. one. Episode yeah. one of, of, uh, of Crash Discords. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and what are we doing next week? John, I believe it's your pick. Yeah, and I tried to do something a little bit different, and uh, I did think I did something real different. Next week, we are going to be tackling a hip-hop neo-soul jazz fusion. You're not me. I just want you to remember that. Well, Only I get to do these things. What happened Normally was, they're not good. <laughs> I was looking up surf rock because I wanted to do surf rock for the end of the year and there was nothing really tickling my fancy. But along those lines, I found an album that was actually entitled Surf by Donnie Trumpet and The Social Experiment. Hmm. It's a debut album. And when I went to the wiki page, I saw those hip-hop, jazz, fusion, neo words. Yes. Prefixes, suffixes? All over the place. It was, oh, okay, that's a lot of things that I never put together before. And then I went on YouTube and Spotify and started listening. And I was like, that's a lot of things that were never put together before, at least in my own ears. So I had to bring it on. There was really no choice but to bring it on. So, yeah, next week I'm trying to do something completely different and end the year with the most curious thing I came across. Well, having not listened to it yet, as it's just being told to me, I, I will say this. The word neo... I'm getting a little tired of it. Well, it's just not to just throw that out there. It's neo. neo is, it's getting overused. Fusion's being overused. Neo, How could it be neo if it's now? It's neo soul. It's soul new. Okay, but why can't it just be new soul? Because new soul doesn't sound as good as neo soul. Because... I like it. New soul. Yeah, man. Okay. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Neo's gonna die. All right. And... Well, he does die at the end of the trilogy. That's. <laughs> He does die, in fact, yes. And doesn't rise on the third day, so the Jesus... But I, I really glory. stopped caring after after number one, so... You see, Matt he, would he, never he, let us do this. Yeah, that's true. He'd always he be like, all right, uh, let's bring let's, back, man, let's bring let's back, bring back. Man. Well, we did get to have a big Star Wars debate, and intertwine it, just last week. Yeah, there was that. There was that. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll, we're probably going to have fun with this. That's right. <laughs> and unfortunately, we don't get to sign off now, because we have to actually cue the past... And wait, what's this? Matt's back through the magic of editing. Hi, everybody. Remember. What do you gotta say, Matt? Uh, music is life. And, and life, life is good. If you enjoyed this and other album analyses, topics, and guests, please subscribe to the Crash Chords Podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. For more media, also subscribe to Matt's one-on-one interview series, Crash Chords Autographs. To receive emails on all new content, subscribe at the top of our homepage. Also receive updates by liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. And remember, keep the discussion going, because music is life, and life is good. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to share them in the comment board below each post. Otherwise, email us directly at admin at crashchords.com.